Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. I wanted to give you a quick uh, disclaimer about the episode you're about to hear. I actually recorded in a different location. I made a technical error by not selecting the proper microphone. So the way you're hearing me right now, you will not hear me in the episode. It actually recorded on my laptop's microphone. I told you we're not professional. I'm just a dude with a microphone and a groan for the glory of God. And so I want to encourage you, even though the sound quality is not what you're used to, please listen to this episode. Quite frankly, I felt the anointing on it at a higher level than I normally do. And it was just very humbling when I went to go edit it that I found out I had used the external microphone on the laptop instead of using this microphone. So forgive me for the sound, but please discipline yourself. And just another reminder, it doesn't have to be super polished to be spiritually beneficial. All right, here's the podcast. What an amazing beginning of 2023 that God has entrusted to Christians in America. I mean, from the outbreak in Kentucky and other campuses at, of course, Asbury Revival. And uh, whatever you may think of that, um, I know one thing that there hasn't been uh, a significant emphasis in our culture placed on anything the church is doing in quite some time. So whether or not you think Asbury was a genuine revival or not, that's between you and God. But I will say this, that um, <laughs> America started paying attention. I mean, when, when a, a revival in a nonstop prayer meeting makes national news over and over and over again, hmm, that is uh, that's a noteworthy event. And then you, um, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the, the movie that came out a few weeks ago on um, called the Jesus revolution uh, stars, Jonathan Rumi um, who plays Jesus on the chosen. And he played uh, Lonnie Frisbee uh, in a true story, a true story of Chuck Smith, Lonnie Frisbee. And, um, just the things that God did there. I mean, it's just amazing back in the day in the late sixties and the seventies that, um, was an awakening. And, um, I, I just feel like all these things happening at the same time. And by the way, there's reports of revivals breaking out in Pasadena, California. Of course, I'm part of the North Georgia revival where we've been just blessed to watch for five years. You know, God continuing to do some amazing things for his own glory with healings and of all things, doing it through water baptisms. And of course, that doesn't come without controversy because the, <laughs> the religiously spirited folks say, no, there's no biblical precedent for that. And I'm like, yeah, you need to learn the difference between an unbiblical thing and a non-biblical thing. A non-biblical thing just means there's not a verse about it. An unbiblical thing means it con- conflicts with scripture. And the North Georgia revival would be what we call a non-biblical move of the Lord. And it's just simply saying that there's no precedent for it, but there's also no prohibition of it. And so just all this awesome stuff that God's doing, we're seeing a, a, an amazing move at uh, my home church and um, running out of space and God moving in powerful ways there and coming alive with fivefold ministry that is taking shape and people stepping into their callings and gifts. And of course, you know, guys, I mean, just just catch what the Lord is saying. Can you do that? Can you catch what the Lord is saying? Um, I'm a Bible guy. So I love what the Lord has said and the fact that it's inscripturated, that means it's preserved in the scripture. But man, I'd be depressed if I thought that was the last thing God ever said. I mean, I I would literally be depressed if I thought the only way that I could enjoy a relationship with God as a Christian would be to just open my Bible and just keep going over what he has said. And while of course there is vast and vital 
importance and value in what God has said. Um, a relationship is about how is he leading you? How is he speaking to you through the Holy Spirit? Spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, Ephesians 1.17. How is he leading you? What's he saying? How is he growing you? How is he shifting you? How is he challenging you? How is he training you? How is he raising you up as a child since he is God your father? And um, apart from a God who communicates actively, we would literally only have one option, and that would be to become students, experts at the written word. And while you will hear me say repeatedly on this podcast, um, while I value um, Bible study, I've built my life and ministry on the teachings of the scripture. Um, it is the authority of the word that leads me to the conclusion of my necessity for the Holy Spirit. We need the spirit of God. We need the word of God. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today on Mavericks and Misfits. You know, I'm teaching a course. Matter of fact, it's about to wind up um, at Caneo Ministry Training Center where I'm blessed to serve as the year four professor. But I did a um, six week study, a course on um, unity, missional unity. Can't we all get along for the mission of the glory of Jesus Christ in our generation? And um, one of the segments was talking about being unified in our worship and our wonder of God um, that we, um, and, you know, I'm teaching this in an academic environment at the school, but um, I never want to get so academic that I fail, I fail to, you know, abide in the truth that I'm a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being. We're not just loving the Lord, our God, with all of our mind. We're loving him with all of the soul, all of the strength, all of the heart. And so this need for the church to be a people of wonder and worship uh, has never gone away. Do you remember when Paul made this statement? This is not a verse that's talked about very often because it falls in Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is the three chapters of great debate on the sovereignty of God and predestination and election. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people just don't like to touch it because it, it requires a whole lot of study and discipline to come to your conclusions. But Paul, in the middle of a very theological couple of chapters, he says in Romans 11, uh, in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And then he goes on to say, To him be glory forever. Amen. But the questions, and they're not really questions meant to be answered. They're exclamations by the Apostle Paul of just stunned wonder about the immeasurable depths of God. He says, oh, that depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And he says, hey, how unsearchable are his ways. In other words, you'll never exhaust it. You'll never conclude the matter of God. <laughs> and, um, and Paul also, there's a note in Romans uh, 11 chapter, he says, how inscrutable are his ways, meaning you, you never figure him out. So right here, just let me give you something right off the bat. For those of you trying to figure out God, you're never going to figure him out, but you can know him more deeply. And the pursuit of the knowledge of God is both objective truth and spiritual relational. Truth and spirit, spirit and truth, word and spirit. 
And this, this is what drives me. It drives me to know this one who is the unsolvable God, the inscrutable God, the inexhaustible God, the immeasurable God. That's who knows your name. I mean, that's him, the creator, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God who cut covenant with Abraham, the same God who flooded the planet, the same God who promised never to flood it again, the same God whom Isaiah saw high and lifted up in the temple where his train filled the temple. The same God who Ezekiel tried to describe his glory by just saying, I saw a wheel within a wheel within a wheel, a wheel of light, and just could not even have human language. The same God who split the Red Sea. This is your God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that he knows who you are and he knows where you are. And that has got to register within us and compel us to say, I must know him. That we should know him as we are known by him. And this ever pursuit of knowing and experiencing God is what is the engine that drives the Christian life. And if we ever just make it about academics only, then yes, we'll know about God. But could you imagine learning and learning and learning and learning about God, but never experiencing his presence? Could you imagine on the other side of the coin, Always being about the presence of God, the, the, the spiritual experience, the mystical, the supernatural, but never actually coming to terms with knowing confidently and objectively who he says he is by the word. <clears throat> Pardon me. And so we have these two, these two realities in the kingdom that some people know him only by the word and some people think they know him only by experience. And the problem with knowing him only by the word is that it lacks the relational um, assurance and the sweetness and the preciousness that God wants you to have, that Jesus died that you might have. Yes, God wants you to feel him. There, I said it. God wants you to experience relationship with him, just like other enriching relationships in your life. But for those of you that are just about the feeling and just about the experience, you are so susceptible to deceit because you don't know the word. Therefore, you can't really judge whether or not the feeling or the experience you just had was actually God because the devil will give you an experience. The demonic realm will let you feel some stuff. And it is that only in the mixture of spirit and truth that we get to know God as he desires to be known. You remember that, right? Let's just go there. Let's go, just go to John chapter four, because I just mentioned the spirit and truth uh, phrase. And I don't want to take for granted that everybody on the podcast is, is biblically informed about where that comes from. But that actually came with, from an encounter that Jesus had with a woman at the well. And this woman was um, often sin. She was a Samaritan. She had an understanding of God, a very religiously themed understanding of God, but she entered into a bit of a debate with Jesus. Once Jesus kind of called her out on her sin, he wasn't condemning her, but he was trying to get this woman to see, Hey, look, you know about God, but you don't know God. And so he gently confronted her about her promiscuity. And she had been married and divorced a bunch of times and was now living with a guy that she wasn't married to. And so he called her out on it. And this is what she said in John 4, 19. She said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. In other words, oh, you just called me out of my sin. You must be a prophet. And she pivots. 
as soon as he started talking to her about her sin, she just pivots and starts trying to get in a debate with them, probably to end the conversation. So she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet in John 4, 19 and in 4, 20, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So in other words, she got into a religious discussion with him and she started to debate about where to worship God. And Jesus doesn't take the bait. He just stays on her, her soul. And he, he's just trying to show her, ma'am, you know nothing about worship. And so he says to her in verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming that neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. And then he says this, golly, I think this next statement, I'm feeling the spirit on this. This is something that could be said to the church right now. And it's very indicting. It's uncomfortable. But this is what Jesus said to the woman, which I think the Lord may be saying, hmm, maybe even to some of us. He says, Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship God, the father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such people to worship him. And Jesus summarizes his teaching to the woman. He says, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now just pause there for a minute. We may just spend the rest of our time on this concept. He tells the lady, you don't know what you worship. Oh, well you and your, your people, the Samaritans, y'all, y'all worship but you don't know what you're worshiping. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have an inward assurance of being a sincere worshiper, but you're not worshiping according to truth. Hello. It's possible for people to be convinced in their heart they're worshiping the true God. And those who are convinced in their heart sometimes that they're worshiping the true God aren't because they're not worshiping according to truth. They're worshiping a God of someone else's invention, maybe their own invention. Um, this is a big component of what we see happening uh, in the modern church, especially in America. We're pretty much, and if you're listening in a different nation, one of the downfalls of America is that you can pretty much get anything you want just the way you want it. And pretty much all Americans have been raised in a culture that has taught them whatever you want, you can get it the way you want. And it has invaded the church. And so we have so many churches in this nation, especially down here in the Bible Belt where I live. I mean, they're just, we have, we have like 15,000 houses of worship in Georgia. Or actually, I think it's 13,000. We have 13,000 houses of worship in Georgia. That's not a little number. And I would risk it by saying, I doubt half of that number worship God according to truth. Doesn't mean that they don't know the words and they don't know the songs and they don't know the formulas and they don't know the ups and downs and ins and outs of church life. It just means this, that the churches create a God that suits the taste of the people that go to that church. So in some churches, God is hard and rigid and narrow just looking for any chance to crush sinners and disobedient Christians into oblivion. That's not worshiping God according to truth. Somebody made that up. 
And then you've got the other side of the spectrum that says, no, God never judges sin. God will never discipline. God never corrects. He's just a chuckling, bearded grandfather sitting on a wicker rocker in heaven on the front porch of glory, looking down and giggling at all the mischievous activities of his sinful children. That's also not only not true, it's stupid. And therefore, churches that don't deal with sin, um, don't deal with biblical morality, tell everybody it's fine, no matter what you feel, you think, it doesn't really matter, as long as you're being true to yourself, that's not the gospel. Because the gospel says, deny yourself, and the modern gospel says, be true to yourself. you got to pick which one you believe. So this lady was worshiping sincerely, but not according to truth. And then Jesus makes that earth-shaking statement that God the Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and truth. And so it comes to a place, guys, that we have to worship the Lord with passion and precision. Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 42 when we're talking about passion? It's Psalm 42, verse 1, it says, As the deer pants for the flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When will I come and appear before God? Do you remember those verses? They're famous. They've been put, put to music. It's like, oh, my soul, my inward being, who, who I am in the depths. I am longing with my mind and my heart and my body. I'm panting after God like a deer that has been running and, and finds a stream and just finds that refreshment. God, that's how I want to worship you. That's passion. And then you got Job. Do you remember how, oh my goodness, this is like astounding. Job, who had lost everything, had 10 funerals for his kids. His wife had kind of abandoned God for a minute and Job lost his business and all his employees and just through a horrific attack of Satan, Job went through all of the stuff. And listen to this passion. When Job said in Job 13, 15, he says, though God would slay me, I will still trust him. That's, that's amazing. Job's passion for the glory of God and confidence in the goodness of God. He was able to say with passion, if God chose to kill me, I would still trust him. That's passion, man. David said in Psalm 57, my heart is fixed. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I'm going to sing and make a melody. I'm going to sing to you among the nations. David made up his mind about what he was going to do. Guys, this is worship in passion. But listen, it's not just passion. Hear me. A lot of you that listen to this podcast are from that slice of the kingdom called the charismatic church. And I'm one of you in the sense of I believe in the charismata. That's the Greek plural word for gifts of grace. And it refers to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so when we're thinking about passion, we're also thinking about Precision, because it's not enough just to be a passionate. You have to be precision. Passion might be represented by spirit, precision by truth. And so when, and when, 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 when Jesus said to that, to that woman, he said, you've got to worship in spirit and in truth. He said, it's important that you hit the mark of accuracy in your worship. And to my Pentecostal and charismatic friends, let me just tell you something right off the bat. Just because it's emotional and passion and you feel sincere in what you're saying, it's not a guarantee that you're worshiping God according to truth. Because if your passion violates the precision of the word, then your passion is illegitimate. In the guise of God, anyway. 
Do you remember what Jesus said in John 17? He's praying. John 17 is, is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And he's praying to the Father and he's praying over and over again about two primary things. The glory of the Father and the truth and the unity of his followers, Jesus' followers. And so Jesus is going back and forth in and out between unity of the church, unity of the bride, unity of all believers. Unify them, Lord. Set them apart for yourself. Make them one so that you can be glorified and my glory will emanate in the earth. And so it's in a powerful chapter, but he makes a stunning statement in John 17, 17. He says to the Father, he prays to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So when we listen to what Jesus prayed to the Father, he's like, Lord, set my followers apart together in unity. Make them one for you and do it in truth. And then he tells us what truth is. Your word is truth. What God speaks is true no matter who disagrees with it, no matter who opposes it no matter who tries to tweak it, no matter how much a culture bends and shapes God's uh, representation of himself, in the end, when people stand before God and they say, well, we know what you wrote in your Bible. We know what you preserved in the scripture. We know what you decreed. We know what you covenanted. We know what you prohibited. We know what you promised, but... We felt this way about it. God will say, I'm really, really sorry that you exalted your feelings about what I wrote above what I actually wrote, but my word is settled forever. My word was, is, and always will be truth. That's a word to our culture. Culture, you out there listening? In the end, God will measure us by his word. Why? because the measuring standard is truth and there is no truth that doesn't align with God's truth. If it doesn't align with God's truth, it's a lie. And so for all of you Christians out there that are scratching your head and wondering about God's position as revealed in scripture about biblical morality, biblical sexuality, biblical gender, biblical marriage, if you're wondering, because it's starting to make sense to you what the culture is saying, and after all, we ought to be whatever you know we want to be, however we feel, then um, I think God's okay with me violating his word or bending his word or shaping his word around my lifestyle. And guys, I just want to tell you in the end, it's already been told and we have been warned in the end, truth stands. God's not negotiating what he is inscripturated. It's not up for vote. And sadly, and listen, I expect it from non-believers. They don't have the Holy Spirit. But for people that profess to know Jesus Christ and then discard his word so they can be quote unquote free, then what I, I have two things going on. One is that you're either a deceived Christian and God will bring you to repentance or you're not a Christian because you don't regard the word of God as being true. So passion, 
and precision, spirit and truth. And we are Christians that are living for his glory, for his praise, for his infinite, um, immeasurable love and grace and kindness. We live for the fame of Jesus and we need to keep our hands off of it. I like what Paul said in Ephesians 1. He opens up the book of Ephesians around verse 6 or 7 and he says, he's, he's, he's telling the Ephesians church, he's, he starts out that book by just worshiping. And so in Ephesians 1, 6, Paul writes, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Like as often as you can think, speak, pray, and sing and wrap those songs and those prayers and those thoughts and those statements all that are all coming out of your life, wrap them as often as you can around him. Guys, I know it's such a cliche statement, but I, I, I think we need a revamping of this and a commitment to this. It is not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we feel. It's not about what we think. You're living, oh, let me put on the old man hat now, okay? I'm not really old yet, but I'm gonna sound old to some of you that are young, but I hope you'll just listen. Maybe it's actually old man wisdom. We live in a generation that in my lifetime has slidden completely down the slope and the slope, at the bottom of the slope, this is the conclusion of the pileup of people at the bottom of the slope. We want what we want. We deserve what we want. What we feel is the ultimate truth. You can have your truth as long as I don't feel that your truth then violates what I feel about my truth. That is, that is literally a phenomenon that has occurred in the last 50 years in the American church. Now, it's been in the culture for a long time. So it's not new in that sense, but in the church, this is the church. And the church is now exalting what we feel or what we think above that which God has said and preserved in the word for his own glory. And guys, in that sense, there's some folks that are in trouble because it's supposed to be to the praise of his glorious grace. It's supposed to be about him accepting us in the beloved. It's about his redemption through his blood, according to the riches of his grace. <laughs> and we've said, actually, we think it's time we make it about us. So maybe there's a warning here because a lot of us, listen, all Christians on some sense, we, we, we know that we are built for worship. We're built for surrender. We're built to make God center. Somewhere, if you're saved, you know that. Um, because, you know, the gospel is not primarily man-centered. It's, it's man-beneficial, but it's not man-centered. It's God-centered. The gospel is for the glory of God. The message of Jesus is for the glory of God. The work of the cross is for the glory of God. It's all about him. And so I want you to pay attention about what's going on in your heart, what's coming out of your mouth, what's, what's happening in your church. Like, I, I, I just look for this all the time. Like, when, when we gather for worship, anytime we gather for worship, uh, singing primarily is what I'm talking about. I'm like, what are we singing? What, are, what is this song about? And I, I disconnect, man. When a song is about me and the words coming in my mouth are about me and the words are about us, 
and about what we're going to do and about what we've experienced. And, and God is kind of like in the background. He's there, but he's not really spotlighted in the song. I, I unplug. I'm like, yeah, this is about us. Another song about us. God help us. But when songs are robustly and intentionally written about him, his attributes, his glory, his grace, his blood, his name, hallelujah, his throne, his promise, his second coming, like those are songs. I'm like, oh yeah, we're singing to him about him. God likes that. God really likes that. By the way, pay attention in your worship services because when the songs are for him, to him, and about him, the presence of the spirit increases in the room. Um, this may cause some of you to stumble because you don't, you either haven't studied it out or you don't know anything about, or you're maybe even inwardly opposed to the idea of angelic presence in worship, but, um, they're there. They can be there. Let me tell you an angelic presence fills the room. It's oftentimes hard to distinguish from when the filling of the Holy spirit hits a the room there. I, I just think sometimes the angels somehow mediate heaven's atmosphere into a room where people are worshiping, but it's when they, it's when those people are intentionally making God the fixation of their songs and their prayers. So, um, yeah, I'm just kind of on this and look, if, if I had the ability, I'm going to wrap up here. If I had the ability to just mentor people the rest of my Christian life, that's probably what I'd do at this point. I love teaching and preaching. I love prophecy. Um, I love intercession and prayer. Our church meets every Tuesday night, uh, Tuesday afternoon into the evening for four and a half hours, four to four and a half hours. And we, we don't have a live band. Um, we don't have a sermon or a teaching. We set aside Tuesdays from four to 8 PM for prayer. And we sit in a room with a little instrumental background music on a low level. And we read from the scriptures and we pray for four hours. That doesn't make us like really cool in the stream of church stuff, but it is making us healthy and it's making us receptacles of grace and wisdom and power. It's very unimpressive. But when we, we get together and we pray, God's presence fills the room. You need to be a part of a praying church, by the way. I, I, I don't want to, I'm always careful about how I say things like this, but I, I, I'm sick of being so careful that I'm unclear. So let me be clear, but gentle. If you're a part of a church that has no outlets for corporate intercession and prayer, you need to start one at your church. You need to go to your leader or leaders and say, I would like to start a gathering for prayer on a weekly basis. Can I have a classroom? Can we meet in the sanctuary? Can you give me a key to the door and let me just lead people in prayer? And listen, it doesn't have to be cool. You don't need money from your church. You don't need um, fancy stuff. You need a room and a groan. And so if you're part of a church that doesn't have a corporate prayer meeting, start one. And if they won't let you get a new church, you heard me right. If your leadership 
will not allow someone. It's one thing if they don't have the bandwidth to do it or don't feel led of the Lord to do it. That's an entirely different discussion. But if you do and you will and they won't, it's time for a new church. I'm going to yank the mystery out of it. We're, the Christianity is a it's a relational belief, uh, spiritual belief system that is grounded in communication with God. And the problem in our churches, I'm getting fired up, man. The problem in our churches is that nobody's communicating with God. We're talking to each other. We're singing to each other. We're preaching and teaching to each other. We're fellowshipping with each other. And God is, is literally, it's like, Lord, we want you here, but please sit on the back row and don't interfere with our program because we're trying to do this and we want it to be cool. We want it to be awesome. We really want it to bring results. But Lord, we can do this. We will check in with you five minutes before we eat our meal. We'll pray then. We'll pray at the beginning of the service. We'll pray to dismiss the service. But that's when we're going to talk to you. We've got the rest of it covered. Thank you, almighty God. No church would ever frame up their philosophy of prayer the way I just said it. But watch. That's what's happening in our churches. Is there any wonder that there's no signs, no wonders, no miracles, no breakthrough, very few salvations, almost no repentance, no callings are happening? Guys, this is the state of affairs in the American church, and God is raising up some fiery remnant voices. Some of them are you. And God's raising up some voices of reformation that are not going to be mild anymore. No more mild salsa. But they're going to put some fire and some heat under complacent leaders. I'm not advocating rebellion and anarchy. You better be careful how you interact with spiritual leadership. But the one thing I do know is this. If you are under lukewarm, apathetic spiritual leadership, you are not obligated to stay there. What you ought to do is if you know that your leaders are not going to advocate for revival, awakening, breakthrough in the form of fasting and prayer, teaching the word of God, worshiping, tearing down walls, breaking out boxes, getting assassinating status quo. If your leaders won't do that, and you can't just assume they won't, you need to talk to them. But if you come to the conclusion, they're not going to do it. My home church is always going to be status quo, boxed in, small-minded, insular, and self-contained. Then it's time to find a new church. Because what God is doing right now, part of it, is he is giving a holy disturbance to certain believers who just can't take the lukewarmness anymore. So stop cooperating with it. Stop feeling like you're trapped. Take some initiative and get connected to a body of believers that will worship God in spirit and in truth. All right. My sanctified holy rant is done for today. But tune in next week and I'll probably do something similar. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. As always, check out the free resources at transformingtruth.org. Download the free Transforming Truth app wherever you download your other apps. You can get this podcast and everything else that uh, I put out. Sermons, truth shots, video, audio, social media links, blog posts, my book. All of that stuff's on the free Transforming Truth app. 
And uh, as always, if you can take a minute and rate and review us uh, wherever you are listening, Spotify, iTunes, wherever, um, Google Podcasts, I don't, I don't know where all we are, but we're, we're in a place or two. Uh, rate us and help us to reach more people. Uh, check out the YouTube channel, Transforming Truth. Yep, all our videos are right there on YouTube, Transforming Truth. And um, avail yourself. Worship God in spirit and truth. Worship God in spirit and truth. Worship God in spirit and truth. Also, if you're thinking about furthering your truth aspect of your life for Jesus, in other words, if you need help getting trained, if you need help getting equipped, if you need to say, it's time for me to get, um, you know, poured into by people that are stewarding, stewarding revival already, you need to really consider becoming a student at Kaneo Ministry Training Center. Uh, I'll send you to Kaneo, K-I-N-E-O, M-T-C, Ministry Training Center, KaneoMTC.com. If you go to KaneoMTC.com, uh, the new school year, registration is going to open up pretty soon. You can also begin immediately if you want to be an on-demand student. You can get a diploma or a degree. And you know what? If you wanted to audit classes without taking any of the tests and stuff, you can do that too. Uh, I just recommend if you're going to do it, go all the way with it and get a degree. Uh, but there's some amazing teachings going on up there and God is doing some great stuff. So look, invest. Invest in your own edification. Uh, God will grow you, but he'll grow you through means that you commit to. And so for some of you, it's time. All right. Now I'm really done. I love you guys. We'll talk to you next time.